You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Have you experienced His saving grace? Do you know Jesus in your heart? These are significant questions. And listen, to know of Him and to have Him in your heart are two different things all together. So make certain you're a child of God. Realize that you're a a sinner and receive Him into your heart right now. And then live for Him and serve Him, watching and waiting for his glorious return. Living life requires faith. You can put faith in yourself, your family, nature, the government, or God. All of those can be good things, but only one of those things will never fail you. Jesus never backs down on his promises. He promised that you can be with him in eternity and that he would provide a comforter for you as you live in this broken world. He also promised that he would return for those that love him. As Pastor Mike will ask in today's message, are you trusting in those promises? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 as he continues his message, A Church in Decline. early church degenerate into this sad church. Well, anyway, that's what this message is all about, and it should also serve as a warning to all of us as well. Well, in trying to answer this question, let me offer several suggestions that cause the degeneration of the Christian uh, church. First of all, rather than continuing to be a body of consecrated believers bonded together in the love of God for fellowship, for prayer, the study of the word, and winning the loss, they placed their trust in numbers. You see, their righteousness and what they thought was their being accepted uh, by God was by association. So just on the basis of their being a member of the Christian church, claiming to be a Christian, they thought that they had a right standing before God, that they were accepted by God. All in association on the basis of claiming to be a Christian and being a member of the Christian church. But that in itself is not enough. Remember, our Christian experience needs to be a personal one, right? We need to be personally walking and fellowshipping uh, with God in communion uh, with Him. So anyway, this is just one of the ways 
the devil gets a foothold there within the church. Listen, I got to tell you something. I would rather be the pastor of a church who just has a couple of members who are on fire than Christians, uh, than you know, uh, pa- uh, Christians who are nominal, being a pastor of a church of thousands who are nominal uh, Christians. So anyway, that's the first way I believe that this church had uh, degenerated. Uh, they failed to continue in the essentials of uh, Christianity. And then secondly, one of the other ways uh, that they had uh, were now on the climb was that they had denied the Word. Now, one of the doctrines that was obviously being neglected, it's quite obvious as you read the text, was the second coming of Christ. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 16. Peter tells us, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So obviously, the teaching, this teaching concerning the second coming of Christ, Christ coming back, had been ridiculed and opposed by certain groups within the church. They, su- they suggested that it was only a myth that it was some kind of a fable. So Peter here is recollecting his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, as I had suggested just a moment ago. Well, let's go back to that uh, text of Scripture that actually depicts that experience of Peter's. It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel. So why don't you turn there with me. Chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, 5. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, 5. And there we read, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, that would have been Mount Hermon, uh, there in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he was transfigured before them. So it's sort of like the disciples were placed in a time capsule, and they saw Jesus in his glorified body. So he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And notice also, uh, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking uh, with them. Now, Elijah and Moses represent those who would be caught up together with God in the rapture. Well, anyway, then Peter answered, he was so overwhelmed by this experience, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, Peter, old and petrous Peter, so overwhelming, he really didn't know what to say. So he's really talking at a turn here. Well, anyway, verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud over uh, shadowed them, and I believe this was a part of the Shekinah glory of God, And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, and Peter heard that voice, it was God the Father speaking, and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. You see, Peter and James and John saw Jesus in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, as every eye shall see him when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the Holy Spirit angels, 
as is indicated for us in the Gospel according to Mark in chapter 8, in verse 38. So Peter was an eyewitness of the Lord in all of his magnificent glory. No wonder he wrote about Christ's second coming so frequently. Because as you study the epistles of uh, Peter, his writings, you see that the second coming is a reoccurring theme throughout. So he had a visual foretaste of what is yet to come. But the blessed hope, and that's just another way to refer to the second coming of Christ, that's the way the Bible refers to it as the blessed uh, hope, our blessed uh, hope, to many within the church at this time was nothing more than a cleverly written story, suggesting that it was not, there was no factual basis to it whatsoever. You know, it's quite interesting uh, to me how many of the early church's problems are duplicated in today's churches. Now, why do you think that is so? Well, you got to ask yourself the question, who is behind this sort of thing? It's the devil. And it's the same devil. And it's his, the same, it's his same old uh, game. It's the same old methods. They never change. You see, the devil only has limited uh, tricks to confuse and baffle us. And Paul knew that, and that's the reason why he wrote in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2 and verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us because we are not ignorant of his devices. So we're not ignorant of the devices, the ploys of the devil. The devil is a liar, and he is constantly challenging God's word. He's always suggesting when God says something, that he really didn't mean what he said. We see the first example of this in the Garden of Eden. Remember, when God gave only a one prohibition to Adam and Eve, he says, all of what is contained within the Garden is all for yours to enjoy. But then he gave this one, this one restriction, this one prohibition, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat of it. And the devil comes along and he challenges what God had said. And in Genesis in chapter 3, in verse 4, the devil spoke to them and he said, You shall not surely die. In other words, the devil comes along and he always suggests you can get away with violating God's word. You, will not, you won't have to pay the penalty. But it's not uh, true. And if there is one teaching that the devil is going to oppose, I want you to think about it, it's going to be this one, that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now why is that? Because the, the understanding that Christ could come back for us at any moment has a purifying effect upon Christians. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 3, He that has this hope, that is Christ coming back for his church, purifies himself, even as he is pure. So, if we are anticipating Christ coming back for us at any moment, it will have that purifying effect upon us. So it causes us to be very careful. Knowing Jesus could come at any moment, we're going to be careful about doing the will of God, obeying God's commandments. And how can anyone, by the way, refute this truth because over and over in the scriptures, it has been substantiated. For example, 
the book of Hebrews. Let me give you a bunch of cross-references. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24, Jesus himself said in verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, in verse 11, as the disciples were standing around, uh, eyewitnesses of Christ's ascension into heaven, and those angels standing by, and they said to the disciples, Acts chapter 1, and verse 11, the same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And then found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 7. There we are told, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall uh, see him. So how can anyone refute the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ because over and over again, in the Word, it has been substantiated. Now, getting back to the effect of not believing this truth, and this brings us to the third reason why I believe this church was now uh, degenerating. Not only was there false teaching, but there was worldly living. There was gross immorality. No doubt, one's attitude towards Christ's return will be reflected in their manner of a living. And these believers at this time were giving themselves over to selfish pleasures and exploits of this life. Now, uh, concerning the rapture of the church, let's, if you would, turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And there we have the, uh, the uh, record uh, of Paul concerning the rapture of the church, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these uh, words. So here we have the teaching of the subject of the rapture of the church. Christ coming back for his church. And listen, Christians place a high premium upon this uh, teaching. It is, uh, a great emphasis is placed upon it, as you know. And if you read the entire chapter leading up to verses 16 through 18, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first 12 verses, the theme that is being advanced there leading up to the rapture is holiness of life. And I think that this is significant. So Paul gives us these detailed admonitions concerning the purification of our hearts in anticipation of Christ's return. So, if we believe Jesus is coming back, we shall live each day until he returns in a manner that will please and honor him. Now, the other truth that was under attack was the deity of Jesus Christ. But notice here, let's go back to our text. Peter's argument is clear. It's concise. It's conclusive. He says, I was there. He saw. 
He knew. It wasn't a dream, but a first-hand experience. Let's go back to the latter part of verse uh, 16 and uh, 17 and read that one more time. Notice he says in verse 16, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well uh, pleased. And so he actually heard the voice of God declaring Christ to be the Son of God and he saw Jesus in his glorified state. No wonder he was willing to die a martyr's death. Now, Tradition tells us that when Peter was taken and when he was to be crucified, he thought that it wasn't right for him to be put to death in the same manner as his Lord and Savior. So when they were about to crucify him, and that was the way that the Romans uh, put their prisoners to uh, death through crucifixion, he requested and they granted that he would be crucified upside down. And so that's what we're told by uh, tradition, what had taken place in Peter's death. You know, it's been said that hardly a man or a woman would die for the truth, but they would never die for a lie. So this is exactly what, what Peter uh, did. He absolutely believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was a deity. But what proofs uh, do we have uh, of the deity of Christ? Well, think about it. We have the record of his sinless life. No one who ever lived was able to live their life not committing sin. Only Jesus, the Bible tells us he was without sin. Think about all of the miracles that he had performed. All of these were proofs of his deity, his resurrection from the dead, the changed lives of his followers. But more than anything else, we have the Word of God. We have His teachings speaking to our hearts concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. For example, turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel in chapter 1. And let me cross-reference this uh, for you with a couple of verses. John chapter 1 and verse 1, right there in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Uh, jump ahead to verse 14. And there we are told, And the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jump ahead to verse 18. There we are told, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Okay, so then why did Jesus become a man? Well, to reveal the heart of the Father, to make possible a way for our salvation. And again, there's no other way. So why did Jesus come into this world? Well, according to Luke's Gospel in chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen, Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to the shame of the earth to pay for our sins, that all who would believe on him might become like him. He became what we are, that he might make us what he is. 
you know, there's this story that I want to share with you. It's about this learned scientist who was an agnostic. And he believed, yes, in a supreme being who created all things, but from his study of the handiwork of this being, he had come to the conclusion that God was so great and so far uh, off that no man could hope to know him. Well, one day, the scientist was walking in his garden and stopped to watch some ants at work in an anthill. He noticed that the ants seemed agitated as his shadow fell upon them. He thought, if only those ants knew how kindly I feel towards them, they would not be di uh, disturbed at my presence. Pondering further on this idea, he found himself wondering if a man could ever communicate his thoughts to ants. Immediately he realized that this would be an impossibility. For a human to teach ants what man is like and to convey his thoughts to them, he would have to become an ant. And then all of a sudden, like a flash of lightning, came this thought. Why, that's exactly the situation we confronted the God of this universe. Infinitely high as he is above us in his being and in his power to teach men to know him and to know his thoughts, it was necessary for him to become a man. And there, in the quiet of his garden, that man of science, who had many times heard but rejected the gospel, bowed in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in humble submission and exclaiming in holy awe, like Thomas of old, and said, My Lord and my God. Listen, have you experienced his saving grace? Do you know Jesus in your heart? These are significant questions. And listen, to know of him and to have him in your heart are two different things all together. So make certain you're a child of God. Realize that you're a, son, a sinner and receive him into your heart right now. And then live for him and serve him, watching and waiting for his glorious return. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you would, uh, Lord, just use this message, Lord, to further that work within our uh, lives. Father, we pray, God, that we would uh, remember all of what you've done in the past and are doing now in the present and will continue to do. And Lord, I pray that that would serve to just keep us ever so close to you. God, we thank you. Lord, again, we'd ask that you just move us into that uh, place of, of true worship. God, we thank you. Father, help us to be so uh, grateful. Father, we'd ask that you do all of these things now, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone say, Amen. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Peter, a New Testament letter that speaks much about holiness. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. In a world full of temptations, it can be difficult to live a holy, set-apart life. 
to live a holy life of only good and pure things. But if you put your hope in the holy things, the worldly things become meaningless and empty. Where are you seeking true purpose? Is it in the world or in the Word? The world is sure to let you down, but God's Word is sure. We'd love to connect and pray with you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Call us at 212-247-1877. Again, that's 212-247-1877. If you're unsure what knowing Jesus means, visit harvestnyc.org and look under Resources for How to Know God. You can also find more messages from Pastor Mike on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find service times on our website. Well, that's it for today, but be sure to join us again right here on In My Father's House.